This is Incoming, a universal basic income podcast. I'm Amanda Hall. Hello, welcome to episode three of Incoming, a universal basic income podcast. I'm still Amanda Hall, a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania School of Social Policy and Practice, also known as SP2, studying social policy and data analytics. So I want to have some interactive fun with you right now, but it's going to require some imagination and a little bit of visualizing on your part. So I'm going to give you a second to finish up your candy crush level or swallow the bite of sandwich that you just took uh, before we really get started. Okay. Chewing, chewing, and there you go. Okay, great. So assuming that you are not operating heavy machinery, try letting your eyes close, sit comfortably in your chair, and now I want you to call up an image in your mind of a hypothetical stranger who receives cash from the government call it between $500 to $1,000 a month. This person didn't work in exchange for the money. They were not specially vetted for whether they need it. There are no restrictions on how they can spend it. So do you have an idea of this person in your head? Great. Now, I want you to call up three specific things that you think they'd spend it on. So I will give you some time to think of any three things you realistically think this person you're picturing would spend free, unrestricted cash on. Okay, got your three things? Perfect. Now, I want you to choose a good friend of yours, someone that you care about. Why don't we say just the last friend that you texted, emailed, or called? So say their name out loud or in your head right now. Now this person, imagine this friend receives cash from the government. They didn't work for it, didn't have to specially qualify, don't have restrictions on how to spend it. Now call to mind three things you think this friend of yours would spend it on. Okay, finally, imagine once a month, you receive cash from the government. You receive between $500,000 a month, more or less. No restrictions, no vetting of whether you need it. You know it's going to arrive again next month and the month after that, no matter what. So if you happen to have a bank account, picture yourself checking your account balance and seeing it increased. What are the next three things that you buy? The next three outgoing transactions in your bank statement. Hold them in your mind. All right, perfect. So you can open your eyes now. And I want to go back and think a little bit about your answers. What did you think the stranger would buy versus your friend? Did these things overlap with what you would buy? What demographics did the stranger fit into? Were they the same age as you? Same gender? Same race? 
How did their motivations and approach to decision-making feel similar and different to your own motivations and the way that you make decisions with money or the way your friend does it? So I know you can't uh, answer me because this is a one-way medium, although of course, you're more than welcome to send me your answers at incomingpod at gmail.com. I will, I promise, be super interested to read them and I will respond and I won't share them unless you want me to. But in the meantime, I went through Twitter to see how some other humans visualize this hypothetical stranger and their spending decisions. All right. So I'm going to read you a few tweets verbatim. Um, many of them involve references to uh, substance abuse. And the last one um, has some pretty graphic anti-Black racism in it, but I'll give you another uh, heads up before I read that one in case you prefer to skip it. Okay. Tweet number one. I am sure your UBI will be used for drugs and alcohol. It will result in unemployment and a wrath of social and economic problems. Need money? Get a job. No reason for poverty in this country. There are enough social programs to provide training and education. Tweet number two. I don't want social assistance to buy drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, or video games. People need help, yes, but use money for necessities. Tweet number three. UBI will give people more money to buy drugs, alcohol. If people still need to work, how can moms stay home? Who says that college students need it easier? And if people save their money and pay for insurance, unexpected hardships will be reduced. All that is needed is discipline. Tweet four. What will stop people from buying drugs, alcohol, sex with this money or wasting it so they remain poor and dependent on UBI? The vision you paint is all rosy, but human nature isn't rosy at all. And how does it organize society for where we're headed? Tweet five, UBI is stupid. Try giving random poor or homeless people money who don't have financial skills. All they'll do is blow it and enable drug and alcohol abuse. Tweet six, you're assuming people wouldn't squander the money. You think UBI is going to stop people from buying in excess, getting addicted to drugs and alcohol and be back on the street? Poverty is a behavioral problem. And for this last tweet, um, as promised, I'm going to give you a content warning for some um, some graphic anti-Black racism that includes references to violence. So if you don't want to hear that for whatever reason, skip ahead about 20 seconds right now. Tweet 7. UBI? Really? That's just welfare on steroids. All it will buy is more alcohol, drugs, guns, and violence. If Black Lives Matter, universal basic income is a further death sentence for the Black community. Free money means more guns, drugs, bullets, and more Black death. End of tweet. So I bring these tweets up not as a representative sample, but as an entry point into discussing an elephant that appears in every room that contains policy opinions, especially social policy opinions. So the question for this for this episode, which you saw in the episode title, is how do people spend no-strings-attached cash? How do people spend the money that they get through UBI pilots, trials, or eventually policy? 
I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to the data that answers the question of how people actually spend unconditional cash transfers because it's interesting and it's some of the most robust data we have from basic income trials. But that data is only so convincing and there's a reason. It's fighting with powerful, deeply rooted narratives and assumptions that make us ask that question in the first place. And a key bedrock of these assumptions is anti-Black racism. It is inextricably woven into dominant attitudes about poverty, work, personal responsibility, value, and deservedness. This is especially true when it comes to the safety net. So Americans significantly over-associate social welfare with Black Americans. So for example, food stamps, SNAP. 63% of Americans believe that either There are more Black food stamp recipients than white ones, or that the numbers are about the same between Black and white people. But far more food stamp recipients are white than Black. For example, 2016, 36% of food stamp recipients were white, 25% were Black. Of course, a very high-profile example of this attitude comes from soon-to-be former President Trump, When he was meeting with members of the Congressional Black Caucus, he reportedly showed surprise when informed that there are welfare recipients who are not Black. His response was, quote, really? Then what are they? End quote. With that in mind, we know conversations about cash, the role of government, who deserves aid, these are all also conversations about race, always. Anti-Blackness feeds the narrative that poverty is caused by individual behavior, lack of money management skills, lack of job training, education, and the conclusion follows that people can be motivated or trained out of poverty if only they didn't sabotage themselves with their laziness or vice or violent tendencies or other moral failings. They can't be trusted with cash, and they don't deserve to decide which of their needs to meet and how. So racist myths have been used to justify economic and other forms of exploitation for centuries. But why? Why in the age of data can't we let go of this narrative that is just not borne out by research? It's because subconsciously we want to believe that it's true. Because it means the world is fair. It means everyone has complete control of their own destiny. And it means the threats and hardship that other people experience aren't real and could never affect us. It's emotionally and mentally protective to blame individuals for systemic problems. It stops us from acknowledging that things need to change. That some people, maybe you, listening to this podcast right now, will have to give up advantages that you didn't earn and shouldn't have. That the world we know is not only not fair, but that our policymakers choose every day to keep it unfair in exactly the same ways for decades, for centuries, especially for black and brown people. The world is unfair for reasons that are not inevitable. And that means we are compelled and charged to change them. It's scary. It's painful. It is easier not to acknowledge it, but it's true. So, with that said, 
I will tell you what the data says about how people spend the money. People spend it on what they need. As Thomas Vargas, a Stockton recipient, says, quote, it makes a difference on choices I can make, end quote. In the Stockton trial overall, people are spending 40% on food, 25% on general merchandise, 12% on utilities. A Canadian experiment with large cash transfers to homeless people found a 39% drop in spending on alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs. People with hope, agency, stability, and resources have less reliance on coping mechanisms, and they're better able to tend to their long-term well-being. The data tells us this is true, but these truths are not going to penetrate unless we look at our assumptions about race, poverty, and who deserves to prosper from our collective abundance. So I'm going to link some resources and references in the show notes this week, um, and I, I hope that you'll check them out. I would be delighted to hear from you at incomingpod at gmail.com. I would love to hear what your answers were to what you think you would spend it on if you could rely on guaranteed income, what you think your friends would spend it on, what you think an unspecified stranger would spend it on. Until the next time, remember, what we take in, so too we share out. Bye-bye.